0: You can't ride in my little red wagon. You can't ride in my little red wagon. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Front seat's broken and the axle's dragging. Chugga, 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 chugga. Second verse, second verse, a whole lot louder and a whole lot... Ooh, what's up, y'all? This is Nick Bartlett. I'm a broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer over at organsportsnews.com. And I've had over 50 articles featured in the Seattle Post and Tellinger, and this is going to be a sports Pac-12 original, the Nick Bartlett Show. So this is going to be a run-of-the-mill sports show, talking about Pac-12, hot topics of the week, and one thing I want to stress is that I'm not much different than you guys. Seriously, I work a day job. My opinion is no more valuable than yours, and I'm just grateful for your viewership, your listenership, and without further ado, let's get straight to some Pac-12 action. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, everybody. We are here on the Nick Bartlett Show, episode number six. SACE? Is that how you say it in Spanish? (laughs) No disrespect, guys. Not not sure the exact number off the top of my head. But this afternoon, I got some quiet excitement building. Earlier today, and you guys will hear this on Sunday, but as of Saturday morning, the Pac-12 released its football schedule. And for me, again, that's just some quiet excitement. Not over the top just yet. Obviously, football isn't back in its entirety. I'm not going to wake up early and watch game day. We're not on that level of excitement just yet. But, you know, it's just kind of a nice, happy, calm feeling knowing that there is a schedule out. Obviously, the games haven't been played, but I'm just grateful that a schedule is out for sure. So, later in the episode, I will kind of highlight some key matchups. We're not going to take a deep dive, but definitely going to highlight some key matchups. But before we do that, I'm actually bringing an old friend back on the show, and if you've been rocking with me since the Dane and Nick show days, we are bringing back the Tucson legend, Dane Miller. In all seriousness, he wrote an absolutely amazing article about what Lou Olsen meant to the Tucson community, and obviously there's a passing of Lou Olsen, I believe it was a month or two ago, I'm not sure on the exact date. Please do not quote me on that, but obviously with the coronavirus, the wildfires, um, the election, uh, killer bees, mosquitoes, I think it may have flown under the table. So I'm actually going to give Dane the introduction today. He's going to take you out from there and really tell you what Lou Olson meant to the Tucson community. This isn't so much a memoriam as what he built down in Tucson in regards to basketball, friends. Connectedness, love, and culture. So Dane's going to have about a 10 or 11 minute segment on that. And really as local Tucsonian as he is, I don't know if Tucsonian is the correct term. He'll really explain that in great detail. And I'm very, very appreciative for him being on the show today. Seriously, very appreciative. And after that, I'm going to talk about Andre Iguodala, sticking with the U of A basketball theme and how he may be one of the most underrated players in NBA history. And then of course, we will dive into the Pac-12 football schedule. Oh yeah. Oh, 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 oh yeah. In Bartlett's random talk of the day. I'm feeling a party story today, ladies and gentlemen. I am feeling a party story. So without further ado, man, it's been a while since I've said this. Flashes of the Dane and Nick show. I'm going to kick it down to Dane. I'm going to kick it down to Tucson. Great to hear from you, bud.
1: Alright, thanks, Nick. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller, big fan of the show. Glad to be here. Uh, Right now, I'm looking out across the city of Tucson. I can see Arizona Stadium, downtown, parts of the U of A campus. And, yeah, you know, when you talk about Lute Olson, it just brings back nostalgic memories, what he meant to the city. It's... It's really kind of straightforward. I mean, he really built up the University of Arizona. Um, before Lute Olson, you know, the basketball program wasn't anything special. The football program has had its, you know, flashes in the pan, but it's not been anything consistent that really, uh, you know, defines the city of Tucson. And so what Lute Olson did was create that vibe that identity, the tradition, um, really the overall kind of unification of the city. Um, You know, there's about a million people who live here. And really, it it all started, you know, when Ludolsa came in the 80s, uh, 1984, I think, or 1983. And, you know, he had great runs in the 90s with the Final Fours. Uh, the national championship in 97, another national championship appearance in 2001. Um, and that was the last time Arizona made a Final Four was in that national championship game against Duke. Um, between 2000 and 2005, um, there was, I think, two Elite Eight losses. And, of course, now Sean Miller's had a few Elite Eight losses. But, yeah, really it really was built in the 90s and like I said it really brought the city together it made people proud to be from here um, you know the city itself it's a lower income there's parts of it that are um, you know nicer there's wealthier areas particularly in the, the foothills and Oro Valley and some of the cities that have grown around um, around here and so yeah I mean the University of Arizona itself, when you think of it, it's that block A and it's a basketball program um you go anywhere on the east coast like i uh I was spent three years in the Chicago suburbs, and when you think of Arizona when I would wear my arizona a um you know people would talk about the basketball team because that's what it's known for, and Lute Olson built that um Arizona basketball, you know, the tradition, it all came from Lute Olson. Uh, He was here in Tucson for, you know, more than 20 years. And like I said before here, before him, the basketball program wasn't much. And he built it up. So, but more than that, um, it's really an identity. Um, What Lute Olson did, it's just like, okay, so the basketball program has led the Pac-12 in attendance for the last 35 years, since, I think, 1984. um, McHale Center has over 14,000 seats, and really it's the place to be in the city. Um, For example, um, if if you wanted to get nice seats, I'm talking in the lower bowl, and you wanted to become a season ticket holder, you have to pay a 100,000 dollars as a gift they call it a donation, over a 10-year period, and it's a minimum of 10,000 dollars a year. And that's on top of your um, yearly seat costs, which for those, I think, is somewhere between four and 5,000 dollars a seat. So you're looking at um, you know, upwards of six figures to have season tickets in the lower bowl of McHale center. So that should give you an idea of what the basketball program means to the city, the demand for those tickets. People have been season ticket holders for 20, 30 years. They never miss a game. Doesn't matter if it's a 6 PM game on a Thursday, it's going to be mostly sold out. You know, Recently, things have been a little different with the FBI scandal. It's been hurting recruiting. It's been hurting the product on the floor. But still, the, the cats are leading the Pac-12 in attendance, and they're going to continue into the foreseeable future, uh, most likely barring some significant changes with the FBI. Um, NCAA investigation, things like that might you know, make it drop down below some of these other programs for a year or two. But, yeah, I mean... It's the place to be. I mean, if you if you go to McHale Center um, before the game and you're walking around, you'll see, you know, like Ferraris, things outside, right outside those front, um, you know, the front doors where the parking spots you have to pay for. And, you know, it's the nice cars, McLarens. And, you know, it's the place to be in the city. If you have money, you're at that game, you're sitting as close as possible and you know the people around you. Um, so it's just it's pretty fun um, to go to those games. Uh, the student section historically has been pretty wild. Um, McHale Center itself is a fairly hostile environment for opposing fans, opposing um, teams. It's not very uh, it's not a very welcoming environment for anybody that's not wearing Arizona colors or Arizona jersey or anything like that. Um, and that has created um, a difficult place to win at for opposing teams. And that's the whole purpose of it is, you know, to make it as difficult for other teams to win at. And that started in the Lute Olsen era. Uh, it's continued into the Sean Miller era, and it's going to continue into the foreseeable future. So really it's just the, the basketball program is a source of pride, not only for the people who attend this university, graduated here, but really it's for the people who grew up here and the people who live here in the city. You know, there's no professional sports teams here in Tucson. Um, the city does have the Tucson Roadrunners, which is an AHL team, the affiliate of the Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes. So um, there is that professional team. There's also FC Tucson, which I think is now in division three of the USL Um American Soccer League, so it's not quite the second level underneath um, the MLS, the, the level underneath that. And so really what you have is the University of Arizona basketball. That's like the professional team here. It's treated that way and it's been treated that way for 30 years. So um, that'll give you a little bit of an idea of what what the program means to the city and like I said, I mean, without Lute Olson, I this wouldn't have happened. Um, the city wouldn't be the same. Uh, university wouldn't be the same. And so, it's um, yeah. I mean, I can give you some stats about you know what, what Lute Olson did and all the good stuff about you know the statistics and Final Four appearances and. You know, Pac-10 uh, records and things like that. But, I mean, more than just the stats, it was just, it's the vibe. It's the feeling and the sense of, um, of pride that he built in the city itself. In Tucson, from, you know, the northwest side and through the middle of the central part of the city to the south side over on the east side, all the way up in the foothills. I mean, the city, I'm looking at it, I'm looking... You know, Mount Lemons behind me, um, these mountains to the south, the west. It's, a, it's really, it's in a valley, and it's a wide area. I mean, it's to get from one side of the city to the other on the highway takes 40 minutes. So, um, you know, it's a wide swath. It's pretty diverse. Uh, people, economic backgrounds, all that. So the one thing that brings everyone together is the University of Arizona basketball. And, you know, I mean, the games happen usually two times a week during the season. A lot of the non-conference games are at home. And, you know, everybody watches. Everybody cares about the program. Everybody is interested to see um, how the team's going to be this year. Um, Interested in the players. They tend to make it to the NBA. So, um, you know, when you grow up as a kid, all you want to do is watch the games, go to the games if you have a chance, and it's just a whole atmosphere. It's just, um, it's really, I don't know if it's unique in the sense that, you know, probably Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, you know, these programs probably have similar identities and feel, uh, you know, in the city where they're located and the building that they play in. So, it's probably... Not so unique compared to, you know, those programs, but on the West Coast, I mean, probably historically you might only be able to compare it to UCLA. Um, More recently, you could probably throw in Gonzaga and Oregon. But yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it's a great uh, aspect of being a local Tucsonan and being, you know, born and raised here in Tucson to have, the sense of the University of Arizona on um, the basketball program all because of Lute Olson. And like I wrote in my piece, if you guys have read it, my biggest my four biggest memories or three biggest memories of Lute Olson era was the nineteen ninety seven National Championship. I was watching it on TV, the loss to Duke in two thousand and one in the national championship. And then Arizona's collapse in the League Eight against Illinois in I think two thousand and five. Um so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of good memories from Lou Olson era, and um, yeah, I'm glad to glad to have taken part in this uh, this podcast here, Nick, and maybe that gives you a sense of what it means to the city, um, and overall, just uh, an idea of Lou Olson's impact on people who grew up here, and you know the university as a whole.
0: All right, thanks, Dane, for coming on. It's not been long enough where I'm still not going to mess with you, but Still going to mess with you a little bit. It's like the end of September. Well, what's the temperature down there in Tucson right now? It's still probably like 120 degrees or something like that. It's probably, man, I don't know how y'all do Walk around barefoot, sizzling off your feet and stuff like that. <laughs> in all seriousness, thanks for coming on. I could tell you're passionate about the topic, and I appreciate it, y'all. Y'all probably like, oh my gosh, look at all this fake love. Nah, man, you, you got to show your respect to Legend of the Game. That's just the way it is. But next time, if there's next time Dane comes back on the show, we're probably going to fire a little bit more shots back and forth. It's just been too long since I see your face. All right, none of this was in my notes. I just started singing for the hell of it. All right, guys. So sticking with the theme here of UA basketball, and obviously they've built up a wide net of players from the college NBA levels and other professional ranks as well. But today I'm going to focus on Andre Iguodala. Obviously he's in the NBA finals along with other couple PAC 12 players. Some of the players include Kyle Kuzma, Solomon Hill and Casey Akpala. But even before Dane agreed to do a segment this week, I actually took a deep dive on Andre Iguodala and it kind of fit in with the show perfectly. And for me, I didn't necessarily realize how much he'd done in the game of basketball. He's like done it all without being like a LeBron James, Kobe Bryant type of player. Obviously that's a once decade type situation, but with the exception of those true giants, giants of the games, he really has done it all. So before I kind of give my quick take on him, let's just look at it by the numbers. Normally I'm not a numbers guy, but for Iggy, it really stands out. So Besides for the last couple of years, he averaged more than one steal per game and he was an elite defender throughout the entirety of his career. Truly an elite defender. Through the 2008-2009 season, through the 2012-13 season, he averaged more than five assists per game and he's an extremely high IQ basketball player and underrated passer. I guess these aren't stats so much as kind of his all-around game, but you get what I'm getting at. We're getting a little more statty, a little more statty. So, this year, as a member of the Miami Heat, He's appearing in his sixth straight NBA Finals appearance. And prior to joining the Heat, he won three NBA championships with the Golden State Warriors and was named the Finals MVP in 2015. On top of that, he won a gold medal from the 2010 FIBA World Championships and an Olympic gold medal in the 2012 Summer Olympics. And so you're just looking at the whole kind of basketball level. Thinking back to his earlier days as a Philadelphia 76ers, he was a superstar on that team. Very athletic. Very athletic. He was a guy who could attack the rim, lockdown defender, and I can't stress that enough, especially, you know, those talented athletic guys sometimes don't want to play defense and that was never a problem for Iggy. So that's kind of looking at his younger years when he's a superstar with the Sixers, obviously an NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors and he's an Olympic gold medal. So you're talking about a Pac-12 guy coming out of Arizona, obviously, and just look at all his accomplishments. He got NBA title, Olympic gold medal, and a superstar. I mean, I know that People will sometimes only look at the real, real, real top, 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 top players. Like I said, the top, the LeBrons, the Kobes, the Anthony Davises. Guys like this often get lost in the mix and it shouldn't be that way. Iggy is a damn stud. He's a damn stud. So that's kind of just looking at his profile here and looking at the individual awards and as well as just some all around cool stuff he participated in. So some of the individual awards include, as mentioned, MVP of the NBA finals in 2015 Named All-Defensive First Team in 2014. Named All-Defensive Second Team in 2011. MVP of the 2006 Rookie Challenge at NBA All-Star Weekend. Named 2005 NBA All-Rookie First Team. And finished second in the Sprite Rising Stars Slam Dunk Competition in 2006. So, I mean, Dunk Contest. NBA All-Defensive First Teams. MVP of the Finals. All-Rookie First Team. Really just a nice, balanced, awesome career. And this crap seems slow cliche. Honestly, we're talking about sports, but okay, I just stopped myself from swearing a big one there. But seriously, guys, like, it's just a game and all that stuff is cool. Like, all the stuff's cool. I love sports, obviously. I'm not doing this podcast for a freaking reason. But he's probably a better guy off the court. And you hear that all the time, but can anyone really recall some drama throughout Iggy's career? I can't recall one circumstance I think back to his U of A days where he's ever been some trouble. Maybe he has been, maybe he's been in a heck of a lot of trouble, but at least off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. And so in 2006, and this is not a Nick Bartlett award. This is a real award from another publication. In 2006, he was recognized as one of the sporting news, good guys for his charitable efforts off the court. And that's a pretty cool honor to, to behold. And some of his other ventures include involvement with the tech industry in the United States and Africa, where he's both an investor in the industry and a mentor to other players who wants to learn more about technology. And just as a basketball coach, guys, I love his style. If you didn't get that off the top, he's that guy who makes the extra pass. He's that guy who plays the best defense. He's that guy who hustles after everything. He's a high IQ player. He does the Pac-12 Proud And again, as a basketball coach, guys like this are often so freaking undervalued. It's not a coincidence that he's on six straight NBA Finals teams. Is that the number? Was it six or five? Bottom line, been a lot of damn finals. And it's because guys like this make teams complete. Yes, this is the NBA. You need a Kevin Durant, a Stephen Curry, a Klay Thompson, shout Pack 12 again. But when you have that unselfish guy who just plays defense and makes the extra pass, it just helps so, so much. And it's easy to write off and say, well, look at all the star players down on his team. Don't forget, Iggy was a star in his own right in Philly. He was a complete stud, a complete star. So this just proves the selflessness of him and a higher understanding of what it takes to win team basketball. And I'm truly, truly grateful to get to talk about Iggy Sometimes when I like do the research, you know, it kind of underwhelms. When I really looked at Iggy's career and saw that he got awards for being a good guy, I really, I was just really proud to have him as a Pac-12 member. So that's gonna wrap up my segment on Iggy. Why the hell did I just yell that's gonna wrap up my segment? <laughs> so seriously, guys, that's gonna wrap up enough about Iggy, UA legend, and in another NBA finals, and deserves credit probably at the tail end of his career here. So alright, guys. That's enough about my dude Iggy. As promised, the quiet excitement coming back. We're going to take a look at the Pac-12 football schedule here. Obviously, early Saturday morning, and it is time to highlight some notable dates on the schedule. So with all the transfers, opt-outs, opt-ins, McChickens, and (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) any other freaking variable 2020 will throw at us. I don't like really, you know, feel comfortable doing an extremely deep dive in the schedule just yet. And obviously I do want to talk about a little bit. So here's what I will do. I'm going to pick my top three games to look out for this year. And then I'll pick one random game that I think could prove a lot of fun to watch. And so if you've been tuning in with me all summer in my mailbag questions before the show was even released. I've been picking UW all summer. But now, guys, this is so different. Like, I'm one who stands by his picks till the freaking end. But this is so different. I have no idea who's going to win the conference. I have no idea. There have been so many good players that have opted out already that we're just going to have to wait and see. And I'm actually pretty excited to wait and see. As a sports writer hat, now we lost the basketball coach hat, throwing on another hat. I really hate that analogy. Why are we throwing hats and crap? All right, guys, I'm going to get to the point point. Going on a random tangent. But guys, bottom line, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just excited games are back. And let's look at the three top matchups now. No more tangents for now. So I think the obvious game of the year is going to be Washington and Oregon in the final week of the season on November 12th. Uh, one of these teams will likely be, be competing for the Pac-12 championship and this game should prove pivotal and deciding the outcome of our conference. How will Dub fare with Jimmy Lake and his first year as head coach versus Oregon with the loss of Herbert, Panay Sewell, and uh, basically everyone. Like Oregon lost so many freaking players. You got to feel for their program. Bottom line is... Ducks, Huskies, always a lot of fun. And there's a reason it was scheduled for the last week of the season. I think the Pac-12 fans, media, commissioners, whoever decide the schedule, understand that this game holds weight. Uh, the rivalry is intense. You see the fire on Twitter between both fan bases. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Sorry, Cougs. Sorry, Beeves, Oregon and UW do not care about you. This is the real rivalry. And Washington, Oregon, final week of the season, should have something on the line. Don't know what it'll be there's probably some conference championship type implications on the line. So that's obviously, in my opinion, going to be the game this season. But we have another kind of really interesting matchup. Maybe in terms of on the field action, more exciting. And so my second game to watch for this year is going to be the week one. Yes, week one, November 7th, coming up shortly here. Well, about a month's time, but not too far away. And I'm talking about Arizona State at USC. And so... Is this going to be the year that the Sun Devils take over the South? Under Jaden Daniels' guidance, the young quarterback looked absolutely phenomenal last year. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, will SC bounce back to the West Coast national prominence under Keaton Slovis? They finally have a quarterback. Feels like it's been a little bit. So, you have two very, very elite quarterbacks. Probably the best two in the conference. And really, really should be a blast to watch. USC's defense probably isn't going to be elite. I'm not thinking they're going to be too solid to be quite frank asu their defense can be nice but i'm thinking with the spread system and keaton slow is being a phenomenal quarterback he's going to be able to put up some points so it should be a pretty high scoring affair and bottom line south and, um, not south but something will be on the line who knows how they're doing it exactly this year bottom line should be a lot of fun to watch and i'm thinking in terms of actual exciting games this will probably be the funnest one to watch Maybe not as important as UW and Oregon, but probably more exciting. The final game I'm gonna highlight maybe a little bit more random. Not my random game of the day, but it's gonna be the Week Four showdown between Cal and Stanford. Oh, I had to, I had to set up. I said the final big game, but I skipped that in my notes. I'm um, so guys. The Week Four showdown between Cal and Stanford. Seriously, I think this is gonna be a pretty fun game. A lot of people are picking the Golden Bears as a team with an outside shot to win the conference and. It should be interesting to see how they perform against their rival. Really should be interesting. For Stanford, it's probably a make or break year for David Shaw. Obviously, really just down near last year with all the injuries on the offensive line. And bottom line is the treaty to step up their game and really return to the form of the last decade rather than last year. Bottom line is, one thing's for sure, the winner of this game will likely have established dominance in the Bay Area, specifically on the recruiting trail. I mean, if Stanford really starts falling off, and Cal continues to rise, whatever highly touted football recruits were going to Stanford, probably going to pretty consistently start heading over across town to Berkeley there. So thinking this should be a very, very fun matchup. Rivalry games are always fun. And for me, with all the weird stuff that's happened, I think Cal was favored regardless of whether the coronavirus pandemic happened or not. But I'm thinking that they didn't have the same talent as Oregon or UW. And all this time off really may benefit the Golden Bears. They always have a sticky defense under Wilcox. And Chase Garber's back at quarterback. So really, really a team to keep an eye out for now. Like, really keep an eye out for them now. They're going to be good before. But I really think they could do some cool things now. And my random game. And this one's pretty random. You got UCLA at Colorado Week 1. And it just seems like fun. I mean, will Carl Durrell be able to knock off his old program? and continue building the momentum Mel Tucker had in Boulder? Or will Chip Kelly finally find his form and help guide the Bruins to prominence? That's basically what you're looking at in this matchup. Can Darrell knock off his old program and really save the bus from taking the tailspin down? Again, they got a lot better last year. Or not a lot better. I'm pretty sure they've been 5-7 and the last three years. But can they at least not just fall down to bottom tier teams, is what we're looking at. For UCLA and Chip Kelly, this is your make or break year, fam. you got to win. And you lose to Colorado in week one, you're in a world of hurt. <laughs> That's bottom line. So, must win for Chip Kelly. Show's going to be a little bit longer than normal today. But, hey, man, I want to talk about a freaking party story. So, but, <laughs> sitting there. but before we get to that, again, look at the Pac-12 schedule here. The three games you got. UW-Oregon, final week of the season should be a lot of fun. Arizona State at USC in week one and Cal and Stanford week four. So those are going to be my three games to really pay attention to. Forget the random one for now. The last thing I want to mention about the schedule here is it looks like the Pac-12 may have aligned it so in terms of cross-divisional matchups that some of the top teams didn't face basically one another, so you wouldn't have like Oregon or USC. You know, those type of matchups, the top, top teams. And it may make for less interesting games at some point in the season, but the bottom line is they're looking for that college football playoff money, and you can't blame them. You got to eat. So is yes, is it a little bit of a tilt? Maybe some fan bases would think it's unfair and I understand that. Yes. Fully understand and comprehend that. But with that being said, I do feel like sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So let's just enjoy the games. They're back and let's not harp on this issue too much, but I think it would be kind of not discredible, but it was definitely something worth mentioning. So guys, party time, party time, Bartlett's random topic of the day. And obviously, for those of you don't know, I'm a WSU alum. Go Cougs. Shh, shh, shh. No, but seriously, guys, if you're looking at it, the WSU game for Stanford on Halloween night, it was a truly epic game about three, four, five, six years ago. How, I went to college twice, guys. That's a whole other story in itself. But bottom line is, me and my buddy Levi, we went to the Stanford game. And this is the year where, like, WSU is good again. Mike Leach is one of, I think, it's like, second or third, fourth year on campus. Something like that. Bottom line is, big game on Halloween night. I'm not going to say that we were liquored up. But we were definitely liquored up. You know what I'm saying, bro? I ain't cutting the crap. This is college, dog. So, me and my boy Levi pounding beers at my apartment. Back in those days, we most we can just say I was probably smoking some of the medical herb as well. Y'all, I'll let y'all figure out what that is. So I was in a very interesting, fun, spacey place, we'll say. So me and my boy Levi pounding the brews, excited. It's Halloween. There's a lot of honeys out in Pullman. We're excited to see the girls. We're college guys, you know what I'm saying? Come on now. And like, we go to the game, right? Finish pounding the beers in my apartment. Levi puts a whiskey flask in his jacket as tradition upholds. We finish the flask. I buy the Cokes for the whiskey. And we're doing our thing as we get into the game. And so um, we go down to the beer garden. Yes, this is all on the same day. And <laughs> I went to WSU. Come on. Y'all know the reputation. <laughs> y'all know the reputation. So um, we go down to the beer garden. And there's like a beer garden right outside of the stadium. And so I like this like big coat on. It's like obviously cold. It's Pullman Halloween. Heading towards winter. And so, pretty buzzed, or I wasn't going to say effed up, but we're feeling good at that point, and so we're drinking our beers down the beer garden, finally get up to the stands, you know, at this point, we are, we ain't like blacked out or nothing like that, we're trying to remember the game, but your boy is feeling good, I am feeling good, I'm feeling shiny, I'm feeling damper, I am feeling dapper, what the hell does that mean, I don't know, and so we get up to the stands, you know, kickoff's just about to happen, and a lot of fun. So, watch the first quarter. Nothing too memorable, really. At the end of the first quarter, I reach down into my winter pocket and I can't find my wallet. I swear, bro, I cannot find my wallet on Halloween weekend, Stanford versus WSU. First time WSU has been good in a long time. They win this game, they have a chance to go to the top of the North Division, and I lose my freaking wallet. Plus, I'm a college kid. What the hell do you think i want to do the rest of the weekend win or lose cougs booze and i was trying to get faded <laughs> like we like we hadn't been, a, been already you know what i'm saying so we keep on uh so anyway, i realized that the wallet is not in my pocket like i'm like oh no suddenly the drunkenness fades away and i'm sober <laughs> the medical earth faded away i'm sober it all faded away i am damn sober at this point you know, I walked through the stadium, but this is Halloween weekend in a Pac-12 football stadium in a huge matchup. Do you think I'm going to find my wallet? Of course not. I asked a couple people. The wallet's gone. I head back to the game just dejected. Just dejected, guys. Like, I'm like, damn, bro, I messed up. So I tell Levi, and Levi being just the great friend he is, like great freaking friend, he leaves the game, right? He he leaves the WCU Stanford game. He's like, you want me to go look? Like, yeah, dude, for sure. I'm like, you're not gonna find that shit, you know? (laughs) Like, so just dejected. And he comes up like five, 10 minutes later with like the biggest smile on his face. I'm like, and I'm like, dude, like he's playing a joke on me. This isn't even funny, Levi. Like, this is not something to joke about right now. I was trying to buy some beers, some hot dogs. Let's do our thing, right? So sure enough, bro, Levi comes up, huge smile on his face and has my freaking wallet. Like in a stadium full of 30,000 people, he has my wallet. How was that possible? How was that possible? Right? Like, I still don't know. So I ask him, like, bro, how do you find my wallet? And he's like, oh, you know, the first security guard I asked had it. Like, what do you mean the first security guard you asked had the wallet? There are like hundreds and hundreds of security guards. They just have it and they gave it to you. Like, you're not me. Levi looks nothing like me. At that time, probably had 50, 60 pounds of me. Probably a lot stronger than me. And, you know, just our face look entirely different. I mean, we're both white. I mean, unless, you know, like, it's probably only the similarity in our appearances. And we we're both drunk. Does that count for appearances? So, so anyway, he goes, yeah, the the, the security guard had it and just gave it to me. Like, okay, well, this is amazing. My life is awesome. I love my life. I love you freaking Levi. Thank you. So as you know, kind of a gift as a token of my gratitude. We head back down to the beer garden at halftime. Oh yeah, we weren't done yet. Come on now. (laughs) You act like we were done yet. Come on, come on now. So we go to the beer garden, have a couple more beers, right? Head up for the third quarter. Okay, feeling good, man. Got my wallet, got my phone. We're feeling good. Reach back in that front coat pocket. My phone's missing. I swear, I swear people. I cannot make this this stuff up. I swear, bro. I reached out. My phone is not in that freaking pocket. I'm just like, no. Like, this can't be real. Like, everything just got fixed. The week I was just fixed. And so, <laughs> Levi looks at me. He's like, what's wrong, Nick? Like I'm like, dude, like, you're not. like I'm like, embarrassed now. My head's on like, dude, you're not going like, to believe this. So I'm like, stuttering. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, blah, blah. You know? Like, uh, man, like, I don't know where my phone is, Levi. <laughs> it's like, what do you, like, Nick, are you, he goes, Nick, are you freaking serious? I'm like, yeah, dude, like, I actually don't know where my phone is. Like, I it in the beer garden, but I, I do not know where it is, man. And so, he's like, you want me to go look for it? Now, this is the third quarter, still a close game, still a very close game. And at this point, he's not going to find the wallet and the phone. What are the statistical odds of that, right? My phone has to be gone. So Levi, sure enough, goes and looks for it. This time, I didn't even go and look first. I was just so dejected. I was embarrassed. So I can't believe this. And so Levi comes up about 10 minutes later, you know, saw him look on his face and like, you know, I already know the outcome. So I like look up at him like, dude, it's all good, Levi. Thank you for trying. Like, I really appreciate you trying. Like, seriously, man. Thank you. Thank you. And so he's like, yeah, man. You know, and then like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, dude whips the phone out of his pocket. Like, what? what? Like, how? how is this literally possible? I have no idea, guys. I, I have no idea. So, he gives me back my phone. I sure as hell... Or not, sure as hell enforced it. He asked, do you want me to hold on to your stuff? Like, yes, sir. Please, Levi. Please, Levi. So, he found my phone and my wallet on two separate occasions in the same game. And wow, like I, I don't, I still like, I'm telling this story and like, I still don't believe it. Maybe he, like stole it from me. Like, nah, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He didn't, he didn't do that. But seriously, like he found just the odds of that are wild. So game continues on. I'll wrap it up here. We're going way over time today. I just love the story. So game wraps up. I think WC's kicker that time was Eric Powell. They're playing Stanford. And so lines up for a game winning kick where the Cougs, so of course he shanks it of course he does come on <laughs> so um then uh we lose the game anyway anyway we, so we lost it's a very fun game and I'm just happy bro I didn't even care if we lost at that point I got my wallet back got my keys back Halloween night's still going and yeah I mean you I mean how would you feel in that situation I felt pretty darn good so we go to this keg party the bars were too packed to get into on Halloween we go to this keg party and the keg isn't working like you feel me like keg's not working like what are we gonna do all right Levi, like, I've been drinking a lot with you, buddy. I'm not trying to share. No more beers with you tonight, bro. I'm not even like that. But so, keg isn't working. And I casually look over at Levi. Like, in full confidence. Just I knew. I knew. Like, Levi, it is your night. You know what to do. Sure enough, five minutes on that keg. That thing was working. And, needless to say, y'all, we both drank for free the rest of the night. Because Levi... Fricking fix the keg. In one night, there's a WSU football party story. My boy Levi found my wallet in a stadium, 30,000 people. Two quarters later, a quarter later, found my phone in a stadium, 30,000 people, and fixed the keg on the same night. What a freaking day for my dude. Also made my weekend a heck of a lot better. So that's the end of Bartlett Party story time. Thank you for tuning in. Dane, it's probably still hot down in Tucson. <laughs> seriously, guys. Seriously, I really appreciate the you coming on doing the segment about Lou Olsen. But guys, in conclusion today, I think we learned about the legacy and love and connection and family that Lou Olsen really built in Tucson to a community who may not be as upscale as some. Lou Olsen really, really built something they could all be proud of. And again, as a guy from Seattle... We all know that Arizona is the team to look out for in the Pac-12 in terms of basketball. So his legacy really speaks for itself. And it's not just in Tucson. I mean, he sent players to the NBA and other professional ranks. And as seen with a guy like Andre Iguodala, who is a low-key, I'd say NBA legend, not legend, that's a bit of an overstatement, but a low-key NBA longtime superstar. I think is the best way to phrase it. Really done everything in the game. And Iggy deserves his love, of course, the ex U of A Hooper. And so, again, back to the Pac 12 schedule here. You know, you often notice when you get to the end of the show, you get like this weird transition. like, Ag- again, again, again. <laughs> so, um, seriously, uh, in regards to the Pac 12 schedule, the three matchups to watch this year should be UW at Oregon in the first week of the season, or excuse me, in the final week of the season on November 12th. The week one matchup between ASU at USC on November 7th and the week four matchup where Cal hosts Stanford in Berkeley. Those are going to be my three games to really pay attention to. Just great to have the schedule out. I'm very excited to have Pac-12 football back. I guess we've now shifted from kind excited to very excited. Maybe the party story woke me up. But bottom line, Pac-12 football is back and excitement is truly building within me, within fan bases. And we should all just be happy, man. It's a good feeling to watch some football. Let's not front. Let's not front. And maybe, most importantly, guys, party with the good friend. For real. Party with the good friend. And it really doesn't hurt when you've got a freaking dog-like radar for finding lost stuff. Man, Levi, you saved my butt that Halloween weekend. So thank you all for tuning in as always. And y'all already know what I'm about to say. Cheetos and tuna.